Educational leaders should be in tune with educational trends. What has happened, what is current, and most importantly, what is around the bend. The dilemma for leaders is time. The lives of educational leaders are so busy, it makes paying attention to educational trends difficult. Kevin Hogan can help. Tracking innovative ideas and trends in education is what Hogan does. And in this leader chat, he and Jeff discuss what leaders should or could be paying attention to right now. Enjoy. Ladies, gentlemen, educators, leaders, how are you? Welcome to Leader Chat. I'm Jeff Rose. And for those who are in our leadership circle and are able to watch this video when we air it or we send it your way, um, we know that you'll be viewing it and maybe looking at this with your with your teams of leaders. And then for those listening to the podcast, uh, prepare yourself because I think you're going to really enjoy this episode. As you know, we, we really focus on content that's organic. We don't schedule out for the entire year who our guest list will be. And we try to find guests that we think align to the needs of educational leaders, which is who we serve principals, people in the central office, many superintendents, etc. And often we're talking to a particular content expert, potentially somebody in the field doing some really impressive work. Um, and in this case, we're actually talking to somebody to help us uh, navigate the trends, the, the news, the information, the, the things that are happening in education that that somebody can kind of inform us specific to what is happening now, what they've seen, and potentially even what may be around the corner. So I'm going to be introducing Kevin Hogan. And Kevin Hogan came to us based upon a recommendation from somebody here at Cognia who basically said, listen, I think this person would be great, and this is why. And I think that you're going to see uh, it, was, it was a really, really uh, great suggestion. And so we're going to enjoy this conversation. Kevin is a forward-thinking media executive with more than 25 years of experience building brands and audiences online in print and face-to-face. -face. He's an acclaimed writer, editor, and commentator covering the intersection of society and technology, especially education technology. He is currently editor-at-large for eSchool News and the content guy at the Hogan Report. And so without further ado, let me invite come uh, to the stage and Kevin, let me say, I just read your brief bio. Um, it doesn't, it only, I, if your bio gives you this much on your history. So if I were to go and research all the different things that you've done, I can read off a list. Um, I could do that. But what did I miss in the bio? What do you think is important that kind of describes your overall path or narrative on what got you to do what you're doing now? Well, Jeff, first of all, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. <clears throat> Love to have these conversations. Usually I'm on the other side of the uh, of the microphone asking the questions. So this is a, a good chance for me to feel what my guests feel, which is uh, a little nervous, but a little excited. So uh, <laughs> it's great to be here. I guess in the, uh, the danger of um, dating myself, I guess you can ask me my bio from this century versus last century, right? Fair uh, enough. Started out uh, first paying gig, first paying writing gig was with uh, Forbes magazine back in 1993. Uh, they had a technology supplement called Forbes ASAP. Uh, at the time, Malcolm Forbes was still alive uh, and running the show and his son Steve kept trying to convince him that they needed to accept technology advertising in Forbes magazine proper. He didn't like it. He thought these, these up and coming upstarts like 
Microsoft was just like a little too lowbrow for Forbes. So they had a supplement, uh, which they called Forbes ASAP. And I was an editorial assistant there. Uh, and that's where I first learned about the internet and email. One of my first uh, headlines actually was, you know, will email work in corporate America? <laughs> and, uh, is, is that uh, on your yeah, wall? Yeah. That, that needs to go on your wall. That's slick. <laughs> But that's and I was out, you know, I was out in uh, Silicon Valley. Uh, I had to, you know, kind of fresh out of college, and that's where I, I really uh, became enthralled with the technology because uh, it was a great time to be there. I probably shouldn't have taken my my journalistic oath and maybe put a few cent pennies down on a on a few companies in the stock market, but <laughs> was able to follow the explosion and the evolution. So ever since I've just I've written about uh, business and technology and I've kind of run the gamut over the years. Uh, it's kind of funny during the pandemic, I was thinking back of it. One of my magazines was uh, home office computing, where we were trying to convince people that they could work from home with their dot matrix printer and their, and their, and their tiny computer um, went through business 2.0 in the, in the late 1990s, which was pretty much a handbook for people to understand the workings of how an Amazon works. Right. I mean, it, it seems so funny now, but it's just, you needed to explain what that business model was obviously another success. Uh, spent a few years at MIT Tech Review, where I got a chance to really get in deep into a lot of the uh, you know far horizon type of stories about technology, and then found myself back in New York um, working for Scholastic. Uh, they have a uh, they had a magazine for administrators called Scholastic Administrator. I, I came in there as uh, executive editor. Obviously, at that time, there was uh, you know technology was at the forefront. Uh, for school district leaders. Uh, from there, I moved over to, to tech and learning, which is where for the, you know, since 2008 up until 2020, um, had the opportunity to write and speak with uh, school district executives about how they're integrating technology into schools and just have always really kind of loved that particular slice of the, the ed tech pie. Um, I find that the leaders are energetic, they're passionate, they care about kids. Um, the other interesting thing, covering education versus other verticals, if you're in the manufacturing space or in any other sort of verticals, you don't find leaders sharing ideas with each other. Like, hey, here's, here's a really great way you can improve your business. Like that just doesn't happen. In education, there is a true uh, intent, you know, Sometimes I could be sarcastic and say it's all about the kids, right? When I'm at some fancy luxury resort <laughs> keynoting, and speaking, you know, yeah, this is all about the kids. But it really is about the kids and and, and helping each other and helping other districts uh, raise the raise the bar. So that's where it got into me. And then March of 2020, uh, Tech and Learning, we had uh, leadership summits around the country where we would get together. And this one was supposed to be right before uh, COVID in Washington D.C. Uh, when the the pandemic came down and mm -hmm. it was uh, kind of the beginning of the end of in-person events, uh, which had me do my pandemic pivot over to podcasting. So uh, since then, uh, I've been working with eSchool, putting together uh, a podcast for them once a week called Innovations in Education. Uh, I also uh, host a lot of their webinars and a lot of their events. And then I started my own thing uh, on a platform called Substack, where I'm able to write and podcast to my heart's content and uh, People can subscribe to it and they can pay before it if they want, but they could get another level of free. And so I've just been able to cover this most dramatic change in education 
in history, right? I mean, these these past two or three years, the uh, that that forced march to remote learning, uh, the traumas that we all dealt with, um, it, school districts especially became the linchpin for keeping families together in a, in a lot of ways. Uh, the technology enabled that, uh, so it's just it's been. Uh, as terrible of a time, it's been exciting as a journalist to be able to watch the, the transformation. So having, you know, the, the the lens that we do into the, the challenge and the trauma, as you describe, leaders and schools and, you know, districts have faced, because it's true. I mean, there's just a political chaos around schools, as you know, is daunting. What what has it what has life been like for you? Maybe maybe during and post? I mean, how are things? Is it, have you noticed a completely new normal as it relates to kind of your daily rhythm and what you're focused on in comparison to pre-COVID? Well, so I worked from home since I started as content director for Tech and Learning in 2008. So not much changed in terms of the day-to-day. -day. I mean, the big difference was uh, the travel. So we had those in-person events and uh, Cozens and Istis and uh, my uh, I was able to go to school districts in person and see what was happening face to face. All that went away. Uh, and frankly, before the pandemic, um, I didn't use my video conferencing tools. No one wanted to look at me in person, right? I mean, we had we had phone calls. Uh, there were no Zooms. Um, and, and no podcasting. So that has completely changed the way in which I cover stories. So I don't write a 2000 word story anymore about how District XYZ was able to implement an ERP system that has raised their literacy rates, right? We, I talked to I talked to them about it and then we listened to it. Uh, and I, I think it's, it's, it's a better way to capture and share information. So what I do now with the Hogan Report, uh, I'll have you on, I hope, Jeff, at, at a certain point have the conversation, I'll take a transcript, I'll take out the best bits, mm. use them as pull quotes in the in the web page around the actual conversation, but then you can listen and read and uh, you're able to get more succinct, valuable information as opposed to a, a long form uh, article that you'd be reading like we used to read on paper. <laughs> yeah, right. And then, uh, or online. Well, Kevin, it's interesting that you say that because you know you're you're definitely uh, ahead as it relates to um, getting information uh, succinctly and in, in a focused manner to people. I mean, your your if you listen to your your podcast and I've become a subscriber, it's it's really focused, right? There's these you create these bite-sized chunks of information, um, and I, I assume that's that that's actually more challenging than than people would 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 understand. I mean, writing is one thing, but delivering content that is engaging that people can you know it's pragmatic and focused but also condensing it um i find that to be tricky i've had people say to me on these hey we love them but can you make them like seven minutes and my answer right. is no i can't i don't I, right. I i can't so how often are you producing this content to push it out there because you know e-school news seems like it's rolling all the time yeah, well, we have a we have a weekly podcast for eSchool News. Uh, there's also eCampus News, which is their higher ed version. I do one for them once a month. Okay. And then uh, right now, you know, I have started the Hogan Report back at the beginning of the year. Uh, still, you know, as a passion project, it's a little uh, 
Helter Skelter versus the some of the paying gigs I do. So whenever I have a chance, I get stuff up there. But if I get a big piece of news, I'm able to uh, hopefully turn it around within a couple uh, within a day or two just to get it up. Um, I find that you know depend one one good thing is um, again always trying to find these silver linings for the pandemic. People are so comfortable communicating in this manner now, right? I mean. Sure. Everybody. I mean, once my, once my parents started FaceTiming me, I'm like, well, this is a seismic shift in human <laughs> behavior. <laughs> yeah. Like, if they're able to do it, anybody else is able you know, to do it. And then when you look at students, especially, they don't know any other way. They don't know. I mean, this is, of course, this is the way you do it. You know, they've been. Don't ask them about a landline. Um, I mean, this is how they. This is how they communicate. So, I think. People are comfortable expressing themselves this way. It makes my job easier. Uh, and to be able to, again, go back and you look at the other technologies, and I'm sure we'll talk about this when it comes to ed tech, but just um, the ability to record and uh, turn a conversation into a transcript um, is a real cheat code for me uh, in terms of having to take notes, say, if we were having a conversation, I was reporting on a story or having a, a, a conversation, and I was trying to keep notes. I don't have to worry about that now. I just, I say, do you mind if I record? No one minds if you record. And then you can rake through the transcripts and find the best bits. Uh, and that's just kind of one way to make things more succinct. Well, you know, shifting to ed tech as, as an example, I mean, obviously you've been engaged in, in following and in, been intrigued on the tech side for some time. However, um, there was a different pace prior to COVID compared to now. Right. I mean, the sense of urgency on just having to try to um, keep learning going during times when students were no longer in school. That's it. That that pushed us really fast, um, potentially even too fast. I don't know. But what are what are you what are you, what are you noticing right now specific to the speed of change relative to ed tech? I mean, I, I assume that it's got to be a night and day scenario. Oh, there are so many. I mean, it's, you know, it's a complete reinvention, right? And I know when I think about it from my perspective in terms of covering things, I remember as recently as 2018, 2019 with back at Tech and Learning with, uh, again, article headlines like where we would have articles about the pros and cons of having technology in the classroom. I mean, there was still a strain of thought that uh, computers, well, computers in the classroom, or, or phones in the classroom, or other sorts of technologies were a distraction. Um, when you think about teacher professional development and the idea of recording a teacher in a classroom uh, while they're doing the thing, you could you could ask more than a few teacher unions who are like, "Not going to happen." <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, not going to happen. Um, then you have Black Friday, uh, you know, March thirteenth, two thousand twenty. All bets are off. I mean, it's, it's a it's a brand new ball game. Um, any sort of resistance or a, any sort of idea that technology is not going to be an inter- integral part of the way you educate a child, that's over with. That's that's gone. Uh, you know, like it or not. Um, and districts and educators who were resistant to this, they had to do it anyway. Um, so, I mean, that's and that's the real big overall game changers. I say, and I'm. Um, one 
or the people who was kind of happy about it because uh, I'm obviously kind of uh, biased towards the technology, but I think it's inevitable that these tools are going to be important for, for kids to operate in, in the world. So uh, as a parent and as an advocate of education, I'm, I'm all for that. But we can, we can um, I have a laundry list of uh, various changes. I guess the one, and again, desperately trying to look at the glass half full here, um, is the idea of empathy. Um, hmm. One of the great ed tech uh, acronyms that we would write about and talk about at ISTE and at conferences is uh, social emotional learning or SEL. And I remember I'd be moderating sessions and nodding my head and we'd be talking about you know, the theory of social emotional learning. And I'm like, I have no idea what we're talking about here. Like, it's just like this completely ethereal nothingness right i mean like what does this have to do about teaching kids <laughs> like there, there was no way to tie it in um and again the first four months of that pandemic as a parent as a as a human being i understood the importance of empathy so when districts finally got their kids back online they spent the first 15 minutes asking them how are you how is your family how are you feeling? Are you, is anybody sick? Right? I mean, we all did it. We all had our zoom calls with friends from college or people we hadn't spoken to. And, um, we were asking about each other's mental health because we were all in this group trauma, uh, from a school perspective, I think SEL became a very, very real thing, uh, very, very quickly. And it went from something that maybe was on the side that, yeah, it's, it's important that we think about students' mental health or even, you know, even more of a, a, a less granular sort of way to one where it's up in front. Uh, and I think it's pretty clear going forward now that districts understand that children aren't going to learn unless they're in an emotional space where they feel safe and, and secure. You know, it's funny, though. Tech, do you find um, that technology ends up being... Um almost uh, people point to technology as a problem as it relates to um, social emotional issues and challenges of students, right? Screen time is blamed for a lot of things. Um, so in that case, what do, you, what do you see as the potential intersection between everything that we've learned by use of um, technology and future ed tech strategies and this intersection of all that we know is a very real challenge on social emotional pull uh, for kids. Well, right. I mean, you do see the statistics about uh, you know teenagers being depressed and then pointing to the technologies uh, as something that probably exacerbates it. Uh, as a parent of three teenagers, um, and the pandemic came, and I was used to be very strict about screen time, and then it was like. <laughs> The same. All pets are off. The same. Go to, go to your room. <laughs> and you don't have to get your hair cut either. So everybody had long hair and, and, and look at the screens all day. But seriously, in, in the big picture, I don't know if it's a pro or con. I mean, I think it's a reality that these devices um, are here to stay. It's not something that that could be regulated. I think what could be regulated are the behaviors and the information that is being trans back and forth, right? So if, if there can be a, a direction towards having quality content, using the devices for positive purposes, um, that would be a counteract to the idea of just 
go into the corner and, you know, just stare at your screen, right? So it's like, what are you staring at your screen for? I mean, I had a really interesting uh, conversation with uh, some educators uh, who became influencers on TikTok uh-huh. because they, they saw their students scrolling through TikTok and they said, well, maybe I'll put my algebra class. It was a teacher up in the Bronx. It's like, I'm going to start putting my, um, you know, my algebra lessons in three minute snippets up on TikTok. And now he has a million followers and, you know, I'm sure he has a couple uh, deals uh, places. But um, so there's an example. I mean, TikTok is the biggest uh, boogeyman there is right now, I think. Uh, but at the same time, there's a lot of really interesting things happening on it. Another case of that, too, is, you know, beyond the pandemic, we had, uh, you know, the summer of George Floyd and a lot of the, uh, the, the social disruptions there. Um, you saw students using social media platforms in a very, very effective way as creators, not as consumers. Um, they had influences over who bought tickets to a certain presidential candidate's uh, event in the summertime. They created videos as a result of what they saw in terms of protests, created them and watched them go viral, and it gave them a voice which i certainly never had without these devices when when i was a young person sure. um you can kind of see the recent results um of the engagement of young people in the midterm elections uh, and their use of these social media platforms so you know there's a, a good and bad and everything right uh, i think with if, if there's an emphasis and a use especially with schools and in districts who are able to not necessarily block the technologies but have a culture of embracing it and engaging it you may be able to better manage it if they're busy doing those sort of things and not just staring at the screen right yeah i absolutely it's finding i I my worry and and you actually broached it is that we we learn so much so fast which you know is is a silver lining you know when when we were pushed to do some things that we had maybe dreamed of, but we thought we never had the time or the resource to do, to do it very, very quickly and stand up some tech infrastructure that may have taken a decade and do it within a couple of months. Um, and I, I think that is actually a, almost a legitimate timeline. That did happen. And Absolutely. It, in the meantime, um, now, you know, there's this worry uh, and this almost this pull of wanting to swing back to what we would describe as normal. If we can only get back, which I, I think we need to resist. I don't, my hope is that we don't try to go back. Why would we not use this? This is a ripe time for change. Change that we know needed to happen prior to. This is the time we continue to push, if at all possible, to find a healthier balance relative to what we know works, but also start to integrate some innovation that maybe we didn't have maybe even the guts to do before. And so I do think the concept of creating a balance as opposed to swing back to what was comfortable needs to be the goal. Um, I agree. You know, another phrase, um, as I mentioned, like with social emotional learning, again, we go to conferences and talk about digital equity and bridging the digital divide and how do we do these things? And we'd wring our hands and have the, these big picture thoughts. The first month uh, of the pandemic, I interviewed superintendents and you know technology directors who got into their cars, 
this is before the supply chain problems, I guess, but had a lot of Wi-Fi hotspots and drove to kids' houses who didn't have internet access and gave them hotspots. Um, one district up in uh, the state of Seattle had a mapping software program that they were using to figure out how they're going to redistrict um, resources you know, throughout the district. Mm -hmm. They used it to find out what students didn't have internet access, and they got the telcos to go and build cell towers so the kids could have internet access. So it went from something that was just kind of this theoretical, how do we solve it, to where things got done. I mean, there are 7 million more kids online now than this time three years ago. So, I mean, that's a real yeah. piece of progress that occurred as a result of these of these horrific circumstances. Um, so it's, it's those sort of things. Um, that we can make happen, but it just all it took was a global pandemic, I guess. So the the I I have this uh, ongoing, just kind of in my head, internal action research project going on relative to what I see leaders challenged by currently. Um, I have these six themes that I've been kind of preaching on a from a soapbox, and but just one of them I'll mention. Uh, I I think a, a lot of leaders are struggling due to this, what was described in the 70s as the tyranny of the urgent, where leaders are so burdened by what is coming across the desk on that day that they are doing everything they can to get through the day. And which um, is actually not what they originally signed up for. You know, their, their job is to actually be visionaries for, uh, on behalf of kids and the school district and the communities they serve, but yet their heads are down and they're doing their best just to solve these problems that are coming just fast and furiously at them. So I'm seeing these trends as it relates to what they are no longer able to do in terms of serve their own learning, whether that being reading or paying attention to themes and trends. They don't even have the capacity. It's not their fault. So you who really focus on that, what would you say are some of the themes and trends that have and are coming down the pike that you would recommend leaders really need to pay attention to right now? I think um, first and foremost is the, the trend of community collaboration and community connection. I think, uh, and once again, this was something that was forced upon folks to go to Zoom for school board meetings or to have one-to-one -one Zoom calls. Um, that's something that I think has turned out to be a value and that, that should be kept. Um, but to reach out to wider members of the community to keep a, a, a running check uh, of the temperature of a community. And again, it goes beyond the pandemic, right? I mean, we have all these other social and societal um, issues that continue to be traumas for everyone. The districts, the schools become um, a psychic harbor. Uh, and it's important as a leader to understand that and to foster a sense of community uh, where you're reaching out. Now, that maybe that involves new forms of um, communication. I mean, there's probably a newsletter, right? Maybe there's an e email newsletter. Why not have a superintendent podcast? Why not have, um, I know there are a number of superintendent blogs 
I don't know how many of the superintendents are actually writing the blog. It might be someone else writing it for them. Some of the more innovative ones I know uh, are out there doing that. But th that's a way to get some of that professional learning uh, and also at the same time reach out and make those connections with uh, the folks in your district. The You know, I had these, um, you know, the thought of you've seen so much come so fast. If, if you look to the future and you try to make some predictions based upon what hasn't happened yet, if someone asks you, rather than being a reporter and tell us what you're, what you're noticing or what you're researching or learning, if you were to try to look around the corner a little bit, what do you think um, is coming? Based upon, you know, your, your, your being in touch with all of the um, information in ed tech, what is on its way that maybe um, we haven't even had the opportunity to pay attention to yet? And you're allowed to be wrong. It's a, it's a, it's a guess. I'm just curious. Well, I was right about the email in corporate America, right? <laughs> and my, and my joke is always the internet, it's going to be big. It's really going to be big. It's coming any day now. It's going to be big. Um, let's see. I mean, there, there are, you know, a, a lot of different aspects of the technology. One, and one thing I've, been skeptical about for years, but I'm finally starting to see uh, show some real life progress is augmented reality and to a certain degree virtual reality. Uh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna fall into the pro meta camp here by any stretch of the imagination, but I really do see that those sort of tools can be an effective tool in the classroom when it comes to virtual field trips, when it comes to when you look at uh, more in the secondary application, if you have students who are going into uh, VOTEC uh, or have specialized class uh, curriculum, like say nursing, where uh, nurses are able to go in and draw blood from a patient virtually uh, to go in and to use it that way. Um, uh, artificial intelligence. Uh, which also is kind of a boogeyman, yeah. Uh, or be a boogeyman in education that oh, it's going to take everyone's uh, all the teachers' jobs away. I think the pandemic showed that no, it's not. All it can do is help teachers do their job uh, more efficiently uh, and be an, and, and be an assistant. Um, when you look, I mean, if you think about some of the applications where you see artificial intelligence now, uh, my kid was in a. Uh, a fender bender last year and in order to process the auto insurance claim i never spoke to a human being it was it all went through the app on my phone uh with pushing buttons and the algorithms making artificially intelligent assumptions of what i needed to do next um those sort of technologies are starting to creep in um to a lot of the systems that you see both in google and microsoft um with their coaches uh, in terms of if a student needs maybe a little bit more time to work on a, uh, you know, their reading or, or their math, they can go back and they can use an app uh, to do some remediation to, to catch up. Um, it's, it's, so those sort of things that used to be just really clunky because they were in the really, really early stages they're now starting to show a bit of sophistication uh, and not only for the students, but for, for teachers as well. I mean, I think 
the idea of professional development for teachers, which used to be, okay, school starts September 1st, you come on August 25th, we're going to cram three days <laughs> worth of stuff down your throat. Now you can go on and you could, that could be a continuing uh, process of, again, using pieces of software that you can record yourself uh, teaching a lesson. You can go back and you can uh, assess yourself using those technologies. So um, all of those things are just, I believe, starting to blossom now to where maybe before the pandemic, and again, I use everything as BP or AP, hopefully AP, uh, but um, you know, all of those things now seem to have real application where before they were probably more trouble than it's worth. Do you think, um, okay, so if you take something like, you know, AI or, I mean, I, we had an interview with Bill Daggett, uh, I don't know, a month ago or something. And, you know, if you follow Bill, and I'm sure you, you, you've, you know, heard his, um, some of the themes he talks about, it's, it's interesting, right? His point is, that he makes often is in the medical field, there's been these huge changes relating to how they diagnose and some of their processes and procedures. And then, you know, his uh, comparison of what happens in the traditional classroom, which is still many of our classrooms, even even post, uh, post-pandemic, yeah. we're still sometimes putting students in rows and talking at them for 50 minutes at a time and giving them homework and then rotating the next class. And sometimes we're actually not seeing some of the changes that we probably should be paying attention to. Do you imagine that the technology is just going to become so sophisticated and so efficient that we just won't be able to deny its effectiveness in the classroom and we'll have to embrace it? I have had conversations with real futurists. I'm not a futurist. <laughs> I just I just listen to them, right? Um, who have described some uh, scenarios which I I take as uncomfortable, where you look at the the teacher shortage, uh, and there's no you know short term answer to that, right? But so they described auditoriums filled with 150 kids, and maybe they're sitting in rows or however they're sitting. They're involved in their own individually personalized learning. Uh, staring at a screen while in-person uh, guidance counselors or people are kind of kind of just roaming around for help, but not specific to the subject matter that that student may be uh, studying at that time. I mean, they might have a remote instructor uh, teaching French online one-to-one, -one, uh, where the, the student next to them is doing something completely different, is, is, is doing chemistry or is, is doing some other subject matter. They're engaged in whatever their process is. Um, but then the, the, the wider situation is there's not that traditional classroom dynamic. And you mentioned the rows. It's like, well, then th th those aren't rows anymore. I mean, here's a different scenario. It feels uncomfortable. If it's a situation, I mean, I think one thing that was discovered was the use of these technologies specifically the one that we're using right now mm -hmm. when it came to one-to-one -one instruction when it came to uh tutoring and uh and again this brings a digital equity piece back into it 
you could have a school who could never afford to have um, tutors, private private tutors for their kids in math. They can afford to get together and have some sort of online solution where they have a kid from Caltech helping them with their homework, their math homework for an hour uh, online, one-to-one. So, you know, the rise of remote tutoring, I think is, is, is a positive that comes out of it. If it's still not necessarily an, an uncomfortable uh, scenario in our minds, if that makes any sense. Do you see any potential as it relates to solutions to this mass exodus that we're seeing of educators, right, that we are experiencing currently, and we can predict that this trend of having a shortage as it relates to uh, professionally trained educators, also leaders, by the way, um, Mm -hmm. supporting schools that we think of some new ways on how we deliver supports to students to not not to just compensate, but maybe even to solve and improve amidst something that we maybe can't control. I think it's going to, um, as leaders are going to have to expect things to become more freewheeling. Yeah. Um, you, you, you lost you lost your French teacher to retirement, let's say, and mm-hmm. you can't find a French teacher anywhere. Um, you're going to go online and maybe have the instruction piped in remotely. Mm-hmm. Um, and depending on the state and depending on the district where you are, maybe that teacher is supposed to be, I'm, I'm here in the state of New Jersey, I'll use this as an example. I mean, you have to be certified five times to Wednesday, right? Yeah. To like actually yeah. be in the classroom. Yeah. Um, but if you can find someone who knows how to teach French in a different state, um, and they're going to come in on zoom for a half an hour and then have, you know, night, nighttime hours where students can come, come back in and, and have conversations with them, uh, via chat or via Twitter or via wherever, if that's the way you're going to solve the problem, then that's the way you solve the problem. Um, the technology is there and ready to be used to innovate, to come up with solutions. Um, and I think that that's where it's going to go. The, the innovative leaders are going to try to find positive ways, much as I, I mentioned with using the screen time, to come up with it, ways to look at your communities, see ways in which people are innovating, and adopt them for your own uses. Once, Kevin, I was on a, I was on a panel and I was, I was three or four deep in on in on the stage in front of an audience, and I was asked. We were all asked the question on what do you think is the most important skill set a leader needs to possess. So, like I said, I was I was the third or fourth to go, so I wasn't going to copy what someone else had said. So it came to me, and um, I said discernment, and there was this look of confusion and um, in the room, and I I went on to explain that some of my mentors, uh, leaders, they had this ability to sift through the mass sets of information and noise and chaos that came to them. And it wasn't so much paying attention, it was what they intentionally did not pay attention to. Some of the things they said, I can see that out of the corner of my eye and my peripheral vision, but I am intentionally, even though it's important, gonna let that go by because I don't have the ability, and I think this may have more importance right now. That being the case, um, if we're talking and kind of advising leaders on how to be discerning in a time like this, 
What might you advise leaders to maybe even not pay attention to, specific to some of the major changes and things that you're actually reporting on? I mean, everything you report on is important. I know that, Kevin. I'm just saying that there are some that likely wouldn't have the same sort of staying power and influence over some of their overall strategies. Well, the one thing I try to do personally, um, which might reflect on this, especially when you look at education right now, and and again, now that we're kind of coming out of the pandemic, I, it feels like the fever is starting to, to break a little bit. But um, when it comes to, and this is right after I said that you should listen to your community, um, <laughs> some of the events that were occurring in school board meetings around the country over the, the past 18, 20 months, um, yeah, don't pay attention to that. <laughs> yeah, unless it's your unless it's your district that's actually up on the television, uh, reporting on, on on what's happening. I would say that you know there are fifteen thousand different school districts in the United States. Each one has a different uh, model. Obviously, each one has a different uh, sentiment and geography. Uh, and while it's important to share best practices. Um, when it comes to the politics, I think that that is something that is, um, would be more of a detriment as a leader to try to get wrapped up in or, or even worry about, as opposed to some of the other things that you can share best practices with, which are probably more boring. Like what's the best enterprise resource planning software you should use, (laughs) right? Or, uh, you know, some other sort of, uh, technology integration to, to the politics is noise. But but sound advice. So think about what you just said is that it, it's true that the it's very easy to get um, not only beat up, but swayed and uh, a leader's attention gets hijacked away from students. But the very example that you gave, um, that is something very specific to teaching and learning of students, supporting students. So I, um, I think your advice is sage and you know, other than maybe paying attention to Saturday Night, Saturday Night Live skits of school board meetings, <laughs> you know, which, you know, are, are, actually, are yeah. actually great. Okay, so most of our content, I explained this to you, Kevin, most of our, most of our supports for leaders are what we call roundtable processes. So this is the, this is the, be our final question, but I'm curious, if you and I were sitting around a table, I asked this of all of our guests, um, and around the table with us, we have principals and superintendents and associate superintendents and curriculum and operations, et cetera. We're kind of representing the leadership of the district. And, you know, we're having discourse based upon like, kind of like we are now. What would be your kind of final words or final thoughts for them? Kind of elevator speech, pragmatic advice. What do you want to just leave them with? I think it goes back to um, this social emotional learning, the empathy aspect of it. Um, you know, a, a lot of the conversations, uh, and you could go up on eSchool News, that the, the first year of the pandemic, I had a, a series of conversations with superintendents and uh, tech directors. And again, the, the topic's supposed to be education technology, right? It wasn't about that. It was about how to make students feel safe and secure. Uh, we all know that the the forced remote situation made a lot of students' uh, time at home even worse. That 
they always wanted to come to school because it was a safe space, to be honest. Um, so I would suggest if even as we go back to normal or we begin to, you know, I certainly want to repress the, the past two and a half years, um, <laughs> but not to, not to forget that empathy that we um, we had for each other and especially as educators had for the, for their students. And I think that that's just a, a way, you know, the dis district leaders that I know, when they lead first with empathy, um, that automatically creates a culture of kindness, um, which is where, what you have to have before you do anything else. And this is coming from kind of an ed tech nerd, right? <laughs> Yeah, I, yeah, exactly. I don't know. I don't know what happened to me. I, I've gotten soft in my old age, Jeff. No, maybe you've gotten wise. Uh, so, <laughs> Kevin, I I, I want to say thank you for your work, and um, I'm going to continue to follow you, and um, we're going to continue. We're going to promote some of the things that you have been doing, and it's just we really appreciate your time. This this serves is exactly um, what what this is designed to do, which is pick somebody's brain who can see a little bit beyond what our leaders can see because they are so focused on serving their communities. And so we're just providing this kind of content based upon tapping the minds of smart people like yourself. So I, I really, I really appreciate your time. This is, this is exactly what I was hoping for. So thank you. Well, Jeff, thank you very much. And really, I mean, I'm just pretty much um, the recipient of, years of being able to sit in those same circles with education leaders. Uh, I'm just kind of um, reflecting uh, what I've heard from people who are actually doing it. So I consider it an honor to be able to have conversations with those folks and to be able to help share their best practices with everyone who's, who's uh, doing, uh, doing God's work in terms of trying to, uh, to help kids. So, uh, thank you, and I hope we can keep the conversation going. Indeed, indeed. All right. Well, God's work, noble work. I, I agree with you every in in every way. Thank you. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Um, so Kevin just mentioned being the recipient of this opportunity that he has, and I I just want to agree with him. I, I I'm I'm the, in the same seat as he is. I'm the recipient of getting to talk to people like Kevin getting to engage with our community of leaders and just learn vicariously through so many other people. I'm truly fortunate for that reason. So I want to say thank you. I know that this conversation has um, supported you just as much, if not more than it supported me. Ladies and gentlemen, leaders, educators, be well.